We continue in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and today's reading from God's Word begins at verse 17, referring to Jesus. One day He was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for Him to perform healing. And some were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things this day. And I love that last line. We have seen remarkable things this day. The King James Version actually says that we have seen strange things today. And as we read this in August of 2020, I think we will all agree that the last six months have been marked by some of the strangest things that we have ever seen in our lifetime. Now, there is actually a very big market for strange things. Ripley's has made big money with their books and their museums, the Believe It or Nots. TV shows like to feature incredible things and events and people that fascinate us. Now, Maybe Luke would have been smart to entitle his gospel Luke's Believe It or Not or Luke's Strange and Fantastic Stories. I remember an article I read once in a Christian magazine. They had written off to or asked their readers to submit stories of the strangest things they had ever seen happen in a worship service. And my favorite story actually won the prize. It was a story about a young man that was preaching one of his first sermons. And as he was, uh, a fella in a Superman outfit, full Superman gear, during the middle of the sermon, walks in, right down the middle of the aisle, takes a seat in the second row. The pastor was uh, terribly flustered by all of this, and the congregation, of course, tremendously distracted. And one of the ushers went down forward to the Superman character, spoke to him, and after just a few moments, Superman got up and walked back out. Things settled down, and the pastor consulted with the usher after the service. What did you say to that guy to get him to leave? And he said, well, I told him that the pews were lined with kryptonite, and he'd better leave or he would lose all of his strength. <laughs> strange. That's really strange. Well, Luke offers us an entry into the strangest things to happen during a service contest. Jesus is teaching, apparently in a house with a large, a large room, many houses in the uh, east would have a large upper room, one single room on that floor. And verse 17 tells us that in the crowd were Pharisees and teachers who had come from all over the region. Now that's strange right there, that all of these scholars had come, some traveling a great distance, to hear the new teacher, who had no formal training, a carpenter in fact. But what an audience he attracted. And Jesus knew that these guys were there to check him out, to put him to the test. How would you like to preach before a group like that? Reminds me of when I was in seminary in my class training us how to be preachers. And 
One of your responsibilities as a student was to preach once in the term before your fellow students who, whose job it was to critique you and to write down their notes about your sermon. So you stand up and you look out uh, at your congregation, a small congregation as it was, not with faces covered with masks, but the tops of their heads is what I would see when I looked out because they were uh, looking down, writing what their thoughts were about your introduction and about your voice and so on. It was a context that was strange and unnerving. And so is the setting for this sermon by Jesus. But it gets much, much stranger. The place is jam-packed. And along come these four men carrying a paralytic who is flat out on a stretcher. They want to see Jesus. Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, no way they're going to be able to get into this already crowded uh, home to see Jesus. But these four guys were persistent. They were determined. And as often happens, determination breeds creativity. So they said, if we cannot get in the door, let's go through the roof. So here Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, bits of the roof start disappearing. Well, this is different. And next thing you know, here comes this bed with a paraplegic or maybe even a quadriplegic on it descending slowly from, uh, from the roof. I mean, this is very, very strange, but the strangest part is still to come. Because the itinerant teacher, instead of getting all flustered by what happens, looks at this man and says in verse 20, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. What? I mean, you might expect at this point a sermon on respecting the property of others or maybe a short prayer for the man's healing, but Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Here's a guy who forgives the sins of a stranger and a stranger who did not even ask to have his sins forgiven. And to top it all off, the teacher reads the minds of the scholars and then commands the paralyzed fellow to rise up and walk. And this is the strangest of all, he does it. No wonder these folks left saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Well, from here, I'd better get organized and note that we have three points to ponder from this story. The problem of the paralytic, the objection of the Pharisees, and the lesson of the miracle. To spend time describing the paralytic's problem may seem foolish. Anyone can see what his problem was, but there is more than meets the eye. The man is paralyzed, and that's all we're told. He obviously could not walk. He was a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. Paralysis, of course, involves the loss of motor function and sensory ability. It may result from an injury or disease such as polio or muscular dystrophy. One disease in the time of Christ that often caused paralysis, I'm told, is syphilis. Now, what, it, what brought it on this man, we are not told. But to be a paralytic in those days was doubly difficult. It is difficult enough now, but then when they had no special apparatus to provide mobility, he would have been in grave distress. But I want to add to that something that must have been in this man's heart very deeply, and that is the sense that he was sick, he was paralyzed because he was sinful. And that was pretty much the common idea of his day. You remember the story of the disciples asking Jesus about a blind man. They asked, Master, is this man born blind because he's a sinner or because his parents were sinners? There was the idea that you suffered because of personal sin. Now, the Bible denies that. It may be, however, sometimes there is suffering due, in some cases, to personal sin. And because it was so widely felt in those days that it was always connected to personal sin, the tendency was for a sick man like this to be a loner. But this one wanted to come to Jesus. And, and I believe it was more for his sin than his sickness. 
Well, that's why Jesus said to him when he saw him, friend, your sins are forgiven. Because the thing that had torn him up and had been the despair of his soul was not that he was sick, it was that he was sinful. Jesus knew what was the need of this man. He perceived the deepest desire of his heart. The paralytic never said a word that we know of. Maybe he was even paralyzed in regard to his speech. But Jesus sees his thoughts and reads his heart. It says, their faith was strong, seeking faith, a faith that would risk embarrassment, risk exposure. So he spoke to the man's real and deepest problem, not his handicap, but his guilt. That was apparently his real anguish. Now, maybe this paralysis was due to immorality, but whatever the case, this fellow, he knew he was a sinner, and he sought help at the feet of Jesus. His apparent problem was not his deepest problem. His apparent need was not his deepest need. You know, frankly, that's true with most of us, and it's an important reality to grasp. The, the need, or the greatest need of any human, the Bible tells us, is forgiveness. You look at the poor man, and he says, uh, I need money. Yes, but more than that, he needs forgiveness. The lame or the sick, they need forgiveness more than they need healing. The addicts, they need recovery, sure, but forgiveness is an even more basic need because there is no problem greater than our guilt. Without forgiveness, a million bucks and an Olympic physique are so much rubbish. Ponder this word from Charles Spurgeon. He writes, Once let conviction flash in upon the soul and the world loses its fascination. The music hall, the ballroom, and the theater are robbed of their enchantments. Even business wearies and domestic joys are deprived of sweetness. For a sense of sin spoils all. Guilt on the conscience hangs over everything like a funeral pall, and it drowns all music with its prophetic knell and withers every green herb beneath its burning feet. End quote. Picture with me a man on death row, ready to die by execution the next day. What is it that could possibly make that man happy? A nice supper? A big check? A new house? If he's paralyzed, will healing at that point give him joy? No. Joy is impossible when you know your condemnation. You cannot really help that prisoner unless you can say to him, the king! The judge has granted you a pardon. His fundamental need is pardon. So is mine, so is yours. The problem is sin. The answer, a divine Jesus, come to save. Our second point to ponder is the objection of the Pharisees or the scholars. It's there in verse 21. They began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is this man? That's the, the basic question throughout the Gospel of Luke. Who is this Jesus? What kind of wacko takes it upon himself to forgive sin? The scholars, they knew that only God had the right to forgive sin, and they were correct. God said in Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins. The scribes were correct. Only God could forgive sin. But they did not understand who Jesus was and that he was indeed God. If he was not, would their accusations be accurate? Well, you bet they would. Jesus is either a blasphemer or a liar, or he is God. Let's see how Christ responds to what they say or what they discuss among themselves. Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? Well, what's the answer? 
What did the scholars say? They didn't give an answer. They didn't respond. Isaiah, is it easier to forgive or is it easier to heal? Well, the answer to that is neither. Both are impossible. It's like asking you whether it's easier to jump to Venus or to Mars. Jesus confronts them with the reality of his miracles. Both are impossible for man. Nothing is impossible for God. But let's look at the issue in another way. Again, in verse 23, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? They're both impossible for man to do, but which is toughest to say? Well, it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof or disproof of that claim. But when you say rise and walk, well, then you're open to immediate verification. And Jesus says, if you thought the claim to forgive was bold, get a load of this. If I can do one impossible thing, I can do the other. And I can do the other. I'm not a blasphemer. Indeed, I may be God. The objection of the Pharisees, no one can forgive sin but God alone, is answered by a divine Jesus. And now we get to point three, which is the lesson behind the miracle. This is one miracle of Christ that teaches a very important truth. Verse 24, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Who can forgive sin? That's our desperate need, but who can do that? Some would claim that their priests could do that. At times in church history, forgiveness has actually been sold by the church. Pay money, get pardoned. But you know better than that. Where do you get sins forgiven? Where do you shop for that? Is there a sin ward at the hospital? Does Target have a forgiveness section? Ridiculous. Not even politicians claim that they can forgive sins, but there is a huge market for this service. Psychologists say that if we could eliminate guilt, you would empty the psychiatric wards overnight. Jesus tells us, I have the authority to forgive sins. And he backs up his claim with an amazing miracle. He's already said to this man, your sins are forgiven you. He says that a number of times in his life, but you can be sure he never says it glibly. Christ knew that if he forgave a sin, he had to die to pay for that sin. Jesus has authority, yes. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But the Lamb does it by dying Himself. That's the price to pay for our sin. And that's another reason why Christ's words are so remarkable. Forgiveness, forgiveness itself is a wonder. It's rooted in the mystery and the love of the cross. Now, forgiveness, by the way, it's a Christian distinctive. It is central in our faith, but few other religions even address it. When you speak to someone of another religion, even the quasi-Christian ones, ask them how their religion addresses the problem of sin. How is guilt taken care of? Likely, they have no answer. But when you come to Christ, He says, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Forgiven, dismissed, removed. They're gone forever. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. Isaiah 118, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be as wool. Micah 719, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Christ has authority to deal with your deepest problem forever. Just as He removed the paralysis, so He removes sin. 
What Christ did for this man, He does for every sinner who humbly comes to Him and looks to Him by faith. Look at what He did. He forgives, and then He says, Arise and walk. He sends you out to live a new life. He makes you whole. And you do things you formerly could not, like live a godly life. Think about this. What Jesus did in verse 24 is like what we do when we call men to repent and to trust in Christ and follow Him. Natural, unconverted man can no more do that than this paralytic can walk. But when the seemingly silly command goes out, so many times does the power of God. And the woman or the man who hears is changed. That person is enabled to leave their bed of sin and walk in new obedience. The paralytic becomes a symbol of the Christian, a new creation in Christ, Praise to our Christ who has authority for, to forgive sin and with it power to change sinners. We wrap up by seeing how folks responded to all of this. The leper, as we have said, he amazingly did as Jesus said. Verse 25, immediately he got up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And his exit, I expect, was a lot simpler than his entrance. Now, do you think this man went out and began living his life with a goal of earning God's forgiveness? No, 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 no. He was free. He knew that if Christ could heal his body, he could trust what he had said. And Jesus said, you are forgiven. And I bet he just trusted that word and lived out his days in glad and grateful service to God, not sweating to earn his love, but just enjoying it and responding to it. Making more of your sin than you do of Christ's mercy. Some think of it as humility, but it's not. It's unbelief. The Savior says to all who come to Him, He says, you are forgiven. And we honor Him most when we live in the freedom of that strong word. Your sins, they are forgiven you. Those in the crowd responded in diverse ways, but verse 26 says they were struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. I mean, they were freaking out, and I bet it was a funny sight for those in the room to look up and see eight eyeballs as big as saucers peering down from that hole in the roof. Many gave God glory, and then it says they were filled with fear. We see this reaction to Jesus many times in the Gospel of Luke. Someone with this much inexplicable power well, they, they were scary. And I like what they said. We have seen remarkable things today. And yes, we have. Especially wonderful is that we see in Jesus a Savior who has authority and a heart to forgive our sin. One of my favorite hymns says in its final verse, His grace has planned it all, tis mine but to believe, and recognize His work of love and Christ receive. So let us believe. And so let us receive. Good Father, we rejoice in this story today that it speaks to our deepest, most profound need for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for giving us a Savior who has come to take our sin upon himself, to die in our place, to pay the penalty which we ourselves owed, and then to pronounce our pardon out of his mercy and love. So Lord, may we wrap up today with a deep sense of gratitude and gladness and freedom and walk in the newness of life, even as this paralytic got up and walked out to your glory. May we walk out this life of pardon, forgiveness, and healing to your praise. 
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.